Hey everybody, Zach here. Just wanna give a quick thank you and shout out to Element 451 for making today's conversation possible. I've been talking with several several of you um, about their new product packs and just wanna reiterate how much of a game changer I think that this is for the higher ed CRM space. So you know that moment after you've finally gone through the whole RFP process, you've done you know training and onboarding with the CRM vendor that you selected and then you know, you're know you in the CRM and you realize, oh my gosh, there's just so much work to do to get up and running, right? Like we've got to build out our conflows, we've got to build out our landing pages, et cetera. Well, with PAX by Element 451, this headache goes away because what PAX is, is it's essentially pre-packaged content, right? Pre-built content, designs, and automations. So you're actually able to do in minutes what would normally take your enrollment management team or your marketing team or your IT team weeks to do. No code needed, no writers, you know, no wasted time. Each pack is designed with a very specific goal in mind. So for example, you could install the senior search pack and in minutes, you'll have five personalized emails that are totally branded to your school, your audience segments, um, and a whole marketing automation workflow that will make the campaign run effortlessly. So in a fraction of the time that it usually takes, you'll be well on your way to achieving your enrollment goals. We all know that uh, time is everything, especially these days. So what's super cool about Element 451 is that they're, you know, they're finally a higher ed CRM that actually comes with content, guys. Like, this is game changing. Uh, anyways, learn more at element451.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's element451.com forward slash enrollify. And if you'd like a personal introduction to the team there, um, I, I know artists um, and they are uh, just a fantastic group of people and I'd be wel- I'd, I'd welcome any opportunity I can to introduce you or your team to their customer success team. So feel free to reach out to me directly at Zach, Z-A-C-H at enrollify.org if you'd like me to make that introduction or even give you a sneak peek behind the scenes look at how the product works. All right, everyone, thanks so much for your time and thank you Element for making today's conversation possible. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. Zach here, and today I'm sitting down with Tim Whittem, who is the Associate Vice President of Admissions at SNHU. Welcome, Tim. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me. So, Tim, talk to us a little bit about what you do here. Give sure. us sort of a lay of the land, right? I just you know, got your title wrong initially, so this is take <laughs> two because I didn't do my homework. But talk to us a little bit about who you are what you do, and then we'll dive into the meat of the conversation. Yeah, no, not a problem. I mean, my title has changed quite a bit over the past nine months, which I think we're going to dive into a little bit. But currently, uh, I oversee all of the campus-facing enrollment management units. So we have dedicated teams for first year, for transfer, for international, and then, of course, operations and support of that nature. And um, what were your previous couple of posts? I've been predominantly, so I've been at SNHU, oh gosh, uh, 12 years now, which is a long period of time. It's impressive. And almost all of it within domestic admissions. Prior to this role, I was the director of first year uh, specifically. And then over the course of this transformation effort that we've undergone, We've consolidated our units into a single under a single umbrella. They asked me to lead it, which of course brought you know transfer and international into my purview as well. So mostly first year admission, but currently today I'm sitting over all of it. 
So it sounds like you're a pretty busy guy. Marginally. Marginally. Yeah. Marginally yeah. busy. Some days. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Tim, yep. we've been going around over the past week talking with students, faculty, sure. VPs of enrollment, marketing professionals, sort of about like the state of this moment, right? So we're mm-hmm, mm-hmm. still right in the hopefully coming out of this pandemic. Things are still kind of crazy. It seems yeah. like every day there's new news. Um, people are continually the you know, return to work date is continually, continually yep. pushed back for many yep. folks, uh, a little bit different, right. In, in higher ed here, but acknowledging sort of just like this pa- the past 18 months that we've all sort of like sure. undergone from your perspective, when you reflect and kind of think what the past year and a half has been like for you, for yeah. SNHU, what are some notable reflections or, <laughs> or like, h- how are you making sense of this moment? I think that's not a big question at all, right? <laughs> uh, I might, if I could, let me go back. Let me give like the two to three minute overview of how SNHU has sort of evolved. Really, I mean, this was part of our long-term plan as it is, but the pandemic kind of accelerated, was a, was a catalyst of sorts, um, particularly with how we want to deliver our campus education and, and that type of experience. So back in, you know, Pre-pandemic doesn't even. It feels like ages ago. It feels like four years back, yeah, right? It does. Uh, but if I think back to like March of 2020, I think my operation. We were in a very similar seat to most of our peers at small, private, tuition-driven colleges around the country, right? Like we're scrambling to figure out how to get kids home, how to get kids learning remotely. Even for SNHU, who does remote learning on a ridiculously large scale, transitioning a campus environment into yeah. that space was not easy. We're thinking about how do we make all of our events virtual? We've just lost all of spring travel. We're trying to think about Accepted Students Day and how pivotal that is to our our yield efforts. Hmm. So we're going through the motions. We're doing all this work. We're seeing our deposit activity sharply decrease. I think everyone saw that. And then all of a sudden, our president came out and he's like, you know, look, we had this long-term plan to really analyze and think about our, our campus experience. We know that Traditional higher education is increasingly out of reach for more and more Americans, more and more people worldwide. We know that in the early stages of the pandemic, people on the margins are increasingly more affected. We've got to do something. And so what SNHU is committed to doing is taking a very hard look at our campus environment, at the way we deliver education. And at the end of the day, we're going to make it more affordable. We're going to get it down to $10,000 annually for a tuition price point but the same degree of quality of experience, the same type of experiences that you would get at coming of age and, and you know, studying abroad and clubs and activities, you get right, the standard, yeah, nothing yeah. that looks stripped down or a reduction in quality. But in order to get there, what we're first gonna do is tell all of our students starting for the fall of 2020 that they're gonna be online for a full academic year and they can come here for free. We will scholarship them for 100% of their tuition. So my gig went from like, okay, we're scrambling to plan for accepted students days. <laughs> and I just got 560 deposits in two days. Oh my God. Right. Wow. So radical shift. So now we're supporting this class of online learners. Then we went through about a 12 month period of sort of, it's hard to put it into words. It's like a really intense reflection, a deep dive into our services. And like we were talking about a little bit before we, we went live here. SNHU is a massive organization. We serve 170,000 learners worldwide. But many of our units, our operational teams, weren't 
dedicated to campus or yeah. only service campus in a very marginal way. And so part of this exercise was realizing where are we inefficient? Why do we have a, a very small dedicated team doing this work when on, you know, just across the street, so to speak, there is a much larger unit who does the same type of work across the institution at scale, rapidly evolving. Like we have, we have some inefficiencies in our model that is impacting the, the cost to students. I think additionally, we took a really hard look at our academic programs and we tried to figure out where are ways that we can improve those delivery models or change them or embed more, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example here, embed these types of experiences that are exactly the way kids want to learn. Yeah. With again, the end goal of driving down the cost. And then finally, there's also been this initiative that we spoke about a little bit previously where I think we see ourselves trying to become more of this menu style experience where, hey, I don't know how many kids today can kind of, yeah, I'm going to start as a first year student and then my full time on campus and maybe I'm working a little bit, but there's no life pressures on me and I'm just going to go ahead and coast through a four year degree and finish in that time frame. I think that's unrealistic, especially in today's day and age. More and more students require more and more degree of choice, more and more degree of flexibility. How do we open up that menu where, Zach, you can say, hey, you know what? I do. I want to start on campus, and yeah. I want to get that traditional experience. And then in the spring, you're like, I, I need to leave. I don't want to unenroll, but I got to go home and help out my folks. And I want to take two or three courses online and try not to slow down my, my degree kind of timing. And, and I want to come back in the summer and I want to do two more courses so that I'm back on track. And then the fall, I want to come back to campus, but I don't want to live there anymore. I want to commute. How do we open that up? Yeah. How do we make that accessible and easy and a really good student experience? Because we weren't there. So I want to unpack first right. and foremost, what this change was yeah. like internally. So there's this announcement from the sure. president, yes. right? Yep. And you all find out about this and you just mentioned, right, 48 hours later, you've got 500 plus right. deposits coming in the door. Like, how did you guys function internally to sort of like accommodate this pretty progressive and like radical change in a moment when most schools are still scrambling to figure right, out whether or not they're going to, yeah. you know, reimburse students for room and board. So first and foremost, before we talk about what this means on the student side of things, yep. for you all, faculty and staff here at SNHU, how did you how did you navigate this? It, I'll honestly say I don't think I don't think it was that much of a surprise because it had been in our long-term plan, our five-year plan, that this was sort of something on the horizon and something we yeah. were working towards methodically methodically. Wow, my words <laughs> are really working today. We were working towards this state, I think piece at a time, but on maybe a timeline that more is uh, kind of specific to higher ed. Sure, a slower sure. timeline. Yeah, yeah. We're taking we're really and the message was not, this is a new vision for us. The message was, we got to move. We can't be moving at this pace any, any longer. Too many students are being left behind. And yep, here we go. Let's, all, let's get all in on this work. Let's take the radical steps needed to support our students. And I think part of the reason we're able to do that is, frankly, because of the fiscal health of, of our institution. Yeah. On the flip side, our online enrollments were exploding. I mean, record number of, of new starts for us in that space as more and more Americans realize the need to, um, to kind of shore up their credentials or to, to add to their educational experience. Maybe they had the time to do so that they didn't have previously. So it, fortunately, in, the, in that space, we had the ability to reduce our tuition or fully sure. scholarship it to, for these new incoming students. Uh, we charged our returning students online rates. We refunded room and board. We took those steps. For staff, yeah, 
I think we try to become together. We try to be collaborative. We try to have a lot of different thought processes. I can't tell you how many work streams I was on that was mm. really okay. We're gonna this one's gonna really focus on how enrollment management's gonna operate. This one's gonna focus on sort of the the room and board situation and how we operationalize campus more efficiently. So a lot of organized work streams, a lot of different kind of you know trying to bring in people from all of the the functional units, both with campus specifically, but then also our peers across the institution that historically or previously maybe weren't as engaged in our work. Now they were. Now they're in the room. We're all at the same table, and we're talking, and we're learning, and we're seeing. This could come together. Hmm. We could zip this together in a really unique way, maintain our degree of service, our commitments to our students, but start to realize some of the cost savings, some of the, you know, that we could pass forward. And so uh, just on that point, right, Yep. I think a lot of uh, a lot of schools talk about right. How do we decrease sure. tuition? How do we make college more affordable? How do we sort of like uh, find ways to increase access so that more students can come to sure. our respective university? But they struggle at the end of the day to to pull together and make that happen. So you know, SNHU obviously has this thriving online learning environment, which yep. I'm assuming you were able to tap into some of those resources to kind of help figure out how to better the on-campus learning experience. But beyond that, like, yeah. w- is there getting really specific and like tactical? Like, were there things that you guys did that you hadn't done previously that? enabled sort of this radical change to occur? Like, were there meetings that previously had never happened Mm. between departments? Were there, was there sort of just like this renewed sense culturally that like, we got to figure this shit out, man. Like it's, it's now or never like what, what was different? You're encapsulating a lot of it. I think again, it was sort of phased. Like it was sort of, okay, first we're going to bring together all the campus units that may or may not be organized under a single leader. Okay. At this current time. And we're going to make sure – and it's not to say that we were so siloed that we didn't even know each other's names, right? I don't want to give that impression. But it was sort of like I ran first-year admission. That was my job. I had my contacts within marketing. I worked with campus analytics. I would have conversations with ResLife. And you know, the director of transfer may or may not have been in the room for those conversations. She might have been having similar but separate conversations with these sure, teams. Sure, sure. Right? Very small example there, but I think probably a, a salient one. Let's – Stop doing that. Let's see how we can become more efficient, more effective in those spaces. And then that kind of blossomed outward where it became, all right, you have a campus-dedicated admissions and enrollment management team. We also have a team of 700 people supporting admissions and enrollment management for the institution. Yeah. <laughs> Do we need to keep these separate? We understand yeah. that the, the work that is performed is in some ways fundamentally different, and in others it's not. Where can we come together? Hmm. Where can we realize... You know, uh, an example that we're working towards today. We haven't accomplished this by any means. I have, I don't want to put it on the table like this is done. Sure, sure. We are, it's a work in progress. On, honestly, we're probably still in the infancy stages of it. But file reading, for example, file evaluation. Our, my campus admissions team evaluates and accepts students. If we see a boon in applications, I'm in trouble. Hmm. Because all of a sudden, I don't can't easily add staff. And... I may not be able to provide the same degree of communication and service to students because all of a sudden we have so many applicants. If I have a team of 400 application, you know, trained application evaluators at my disposal, if we we don't need to worry about volume yeah. or scale all yeah. of a sudden it becomes we can preserve that experience that we value so substantially 
and we just we have so much more resources at our disposal that we previously didn't have access to. So it, is that it, nutshell it, it? Yeah, and okay. that, that that helps. And it sounds sort of like if I could roughly summarize what I think you're saying here is that this moment really acted as a sort of catalyst, yep. a, an accelerator for silos have to be broken down. Like collaboration mm-hmm. has to be increased simply because we can't afford for you know it not to. So it, it sounds like what really happened internally was like more more than anything else, it was more about sort of like, let's have teams, let's have units that aren't necessarily used to all coming together and being, you know, all around the same table. It's it's time to come to, you know, a dinner, right? Where where yeah. everyone's at the table. And so yeah. it sounds like that was sort of like the biggest shift that you all made was like just making sure that these conversations that are happening around the water cooler are a little bit more accessible to to everyone in the unit. Yeah, I think that's a, a fairly good way to put it, that it, you know, we wanted to be collaborative. Let's bring everyone to the table. Maybe we're already really good and tight and and solid in our approach, but maybe we're not. Let's spend some time really thinking about if we don't have the constraints of staffing, resources, what have you, how could we operate differently, more efficiently, more effectively? How can we better serve students? How can we more effectively fulfill our mission? And say so it it was hard. I mean, yeah. there were times where I was like, it feels like we're making missteps. I think a lot of times we we had false starts. I think when you're when you're tackling something that that substantial, it's not gonna happen without quite a few, you know, people not being on the same page. And yeah. people to some degree, we're I mean, here's the thing, we're in the middle of a pandemic too. Let's let's not forget that element. We're doing all of this remotely. And you're talking about a pretty heavy degree of change yeah. potentially to people's day-to-day jobs. That's not something that is always received positively. Um, and it was, it was difficult at times, but at the end of the day, the mission that all of this is being done so that we can deliver a campus experience at a reduced cost and we can open the doors on access that we can better serve and support students through their journey. That being at least for me, the core reason behind the work didn't make it easy, yeah. but it made it worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. So flipping this to the student side of things, yep. right? How did the How did student community <laughs> react? Like they get this email presumably, sure. or there's a you know press release. Like what do folks, how do folks react when they hear tuition's going to be, you know, cut in half yeah, after yeah, this, yeah. you know, year where we're not going to charge you, but you are going to be online. What was the community's response? I I would say it was twofold for what I experienced firsthand was a lot of positivity, a lot of that's great. We love that. That makes sense in some ways. That's exciting to skepticism. Hmm. Are you just doing this for a year? You're just going to do this for a year and then you're going to raise the rates again. Hmm. Or like, what's the catch? What is, what are we losing? If you're making it so cheap, then you're telling me the experience is cheap. You're telling me the experience doesn't have value. So those are the types of conversations we've had a lot of with school counselors, with prospective students, trying to explain that, no, we've not decreased the quality of the experience. We've changed it a little bit. But ultimately, you know, we don't, we're trying to get away from, and I don't want to put this in a, in a nasty way. I yeah. apologize if it comes off negatively. Uh, and in this sort of, yep, our price is $40,000 a year, but nobody really pays that, right? Like we're going to go through, you're going to earn some merit aid based on your performance in high school. You're potentially eligible for need-based aid. You know, how can we make financial aid cleaner and easier to understand? How can we stop playing the discounting game and just get to a 
yeah, right out of the gate, you know it's going to cost you $10,000 a year to go here, and you may be eligible for some need-based support. That's going to be competitive with just about anywhere else you're looking, including in-state institutions. Sure. That was, I think, a, a fundamental driver for us in this approach, um, and it's we're getting close to it. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting close. What is What does this mean for higher ed at large? Like, I, Is there just... Is there money being mismanaged or spent in you know in, in ways that are redundant and like sure, that's sure, the sure, reason sure. why tuition needs wanna, to be so high? Or I don't want to. I'm hesitant to speak to that sure. on the whole of higher ed because yep. I understand that the way institutions price and discount and manage themselves is extremely different depending on the type of institution where they're located. I mean, there are a whole host of variables that are probably outside of my realm of expertise that I don't I don't want to speak to. Sure. What I will say is what I what encouraged me about the pandemic was that you started to see some what I would perceive to be positive, supportive changes in policies and practices that for a long time felt like these are so static, they're never going to move. Mm. You know, the number of colleges going test optional, the number of colleges flexing their deadlines, the number of colleges providing alternative options for, for applications, for support, um, just that to me feels like the right direction for higher ed, those feel like prohibitive, restrictive, and to some degree, archaic might be extreme, measures that no longer support this age and day of student, especially right now in the middle of what we're going through as as, as, a, as a world. Yeah, That was encouraging to me. Our actions, what we did internally, how we recognized, like why are we doing this discounting? This is the better direction that we can go as an institution. Those are the right steps for us. I don't mean to po posit those as being the right steps for everybody. Sure. Do I think there needs to be continued efforts around financial aid? Yeah, to improve that process, to add clarity, to add support to underserved families, 100%. I don't think that means a tuition reset or a you know radical repricing. Um, but I do think we can do better as an industry on that front, even knowing that a lot of schools and a lot of nonprofits and a lot of support offices in high schools put time and effort in that direction. I think we've got to continue to push the envelope there more than ever. So talk to us about these pathways, right? You sure, guys sure. have yep. the discover more and experience more pathways. Help this our is, listeners kind of understand yeah. what, are, what are the differences here and how have those been received by the community? So the initial commitment was going to come here for a year for free fully scholarship, and then we will have a $10,000 degree option by the time you start for the fall of 21, which was literally last week. Over the course of that academic year, the 2021 academic year, and a lot of the work that was done outside of, of my world within the world of academics with faculty, within you know pedagogy and curriculum design, we were able to get to a, a model where we said, okay, we're going to have two different types to start. The first is going to be a model, Discover More, that looks very similar to what you would have seen historically, right? A lot of choice. You can major, you can minor, you can study abroad, you can do an internship or two or three or none of those things, right? We're not a whole lot of prescriptive elements. Sure. That we are delivering at $15,000 a year annually. And then our 10K models, which we're currently offering in six programs, they are the sort of our, I don't want to call them experiment, but that's. I mean, they're, they're our first stab at accomplishing what we set out to do to begin with. The way we're doing that thus far is we've removed some of those elements of choice. They are a little more rigid with their curriculum and with the sort of pacing. They do not allow for minors or double majors, at least currently. Mm. Um, 
there are courses like so our game design we have a game art and then we have a game simulation and programming degree two game degrees and these are both 10k programs we also have on on campus a uh, inkwell game studios which is effectively a, a game studio right it wow. simulates exactly what you'd see in the industry and what we heard time and time again pre-pandemic from students was that the courses taught in the studio taught around sort of uh, an environment that really mimics the industry with a ton of collaboration. They're not just game students in the room. We're bringing in students from business majors to collaborate. We're bringing in industry professionals. We're bringing in nonprofit organizations. We're bringing in all the types of of individuals that are going to intersect with you in the real world, and they're sort of influencing your coursework and the projects you're doing. Time and time again, these students are saying, we want these courses from day one. Yeah. These are the most impactful, and we're not touching them until our junior or senior year. Okay, so that's what we've done is now students, their first year in these game courses, are stepping into studios, and that might be a nine-credit studio course. That's removing some of your element of choice, the number of electives you can take. But by sort of putting in some rigidity and making it very career-focused, we're allowing ourselves a little bit of ability to pass more savings on to the student. Uh, the learning modality. Yeah, some of your courses are going to be online to allow you some more time in the studio, to allow you some more time on maybe project-based learning or other you know, enterprises that you're involved with. But doing that allows us to pass more savings on to you. So it's sure. kind of this, this twofold effect, so to speak. And then ultimately, I think the point is we want to get to that menu that I talked about a little earlier where, yeah, you're in a 10K degree option, but you still have this, this ability to kind of walk between models and walk between modalities without an impact to the timing of your degree or the amount of debt you're incurring. So is the is the basic idea here that these options, yeah. these pathways are going to be of interest to different student populations? Sure. Yeah. Like talk to us a little bit about sort of like the intent here. Like is the intent for the 10K option to be, hey, if you want to come, mm -hmm. you want to get your degree, you want to be career ready and you don't necessarily need or, or care too much about lots of flexibility, lots of electives, like yeah. here you go, like get in and get out or not necessarily because it sounds to me like the, the 10K option here, right, is, is still sort of like putting innovation first. You guys are still talking about like, sure. yep. you know, courses that are happening in a game studio, right? And the learning modality sure varies a little bit, but like, Talk to us a little bit about, I guess, the different student populations that sure. you will, at least at this phase, think will will uh, be attracted to these these different pathways. I don't. I, I want to be clear. I don't think we're we're not. Nobody's saying that like, oh, we want to replace face to face learning, or that necessarily online learning is equal to face to face sure. learning. Right? Like we've had a lot of conversations, and I've uh, you know as a, as an institution around those fronts, we realize that. The traditional face-to-face -face environment is still going to be what the majority of your traditional domestic first-year and transfer students are going to seek. But that said, life happens. And having that ability, that flexibility sort of readily available to students is, is one big critical piece of the design we're, we're trying to accomplish with our academic programs. Your point on 10K, I think, is, is well stated. That is kind of, in my opinion, how they're, they're constituted today. Um, we've had other options at SNHU previously that were built around some of those fundamentals of, you know, a, a fast track, quote unquote, to a degree, you know, giving you a prescribed course schedule from day one through three years, allowing you to graduate in three years. This, this isn't that to me. I'm not, I'm not quite sure I'm ready to like 
put it in this summarized box sure, just yet sure. because I think it could be attractive to a lot of different students. I think if you're a kid who goes, I don't want to sit in a lecture hall all day. I want to get my hands on stuff right out of the gate. This could be a good option for you. I think if you're a kid who goes, yeah, I, I'm not interested in, I know what I want to do. Yeah. And I, uh, this is the pathway for me. And really it's about cost. At the end of the day, I need the least expensive option available. Perfect. This is an option for you though. This is going to be really competitive. I think if you're a student who goes, yeah, I'm going to need the support. I'm going to need the flexibility. I'm going to need the, you know, the options to break down my degree across a different timeline or different learning styles or modalities, I should say, not styles, modalities of delivery, be it online or hybrid or in person. And we tell you, yeah, we can do that for you. And we could do that at a 10K price. I have to think that's going to be attractive as well. Yeah. And I'll say, at least we're, what we're seeing a lot of that I've never seen before in the 10 years that I've been here is more demand for online from those traditional first-year students. Mm. We had a very large number who for a long time said, yeah, you know, I want to I want to be enrolled at SNHU on campus and then kind of a week out or two weeks out go, you know, I'm not comfortable. I want to stay online only. And we were able to accommodate those students. Uh, and I think part of what we're also trying to do, this goes more towards the operational aspect of the change and, and the transformation is make that more seamless and easy. It's not today. You might think it would be, yeah. but it's currently, it has barriers. We're moving quickly to a place where it doesn't, where we're opening up those, you know, that, that extent, maybe opening up the wrong descriptor. We're making that experience more student friendly and student centered. And I know that, you know, you want to be careful how much you pontificate about <laughs> higher ed as a whole. <laughs> yes, I do. But like is uh, is when you think about this model, right? Sure. To me, you're you're talking about the future, right? Like schools, right, if they if institutions still, you know, want to be around and yeah. want to be conducive to next generations of of students, which they do, there's going to need to be this adaptable sort of like flexible posture or there's going to need yeah. to be this very radical like rigid focus of no 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 no. this is exactly what we do and if you don't want it no worries right, we do this right. one thing and we do it really 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 well maybe we do it the best in this particular area right um but if you don't want that we we, we don't really want you like we don't really have an option for you so i feel like schools are going to have to move in you know one extreme or the other, they're either going to have to get really, really focused, or they're going to have to get really, really, really flexible. Like, I guess, how do you think about this model that you guys have, you know, created and are experimenting with? Is this going to become like the norm in the next few years for schools, five to ten years here? Like, or <laughs> or is this like still going to be radically innovative? And is is everyone in the ivory tower like crossing their fingers? hoping that like in sure, three sure, years, sure. everyone's forgotten what COVID-19 was? Oh, that's a good question. I, I don't, here's, there are a lot of school. We're not the only school working on this, right? Like there are certainly other institutions across the country that have, have done similar experiments pre-COVID, are working on things now, have tried and are, you know, looking at implementing programs very similar to the ones that we've implemented. So I don't mean to put us out there as like the savior, right? Like uh, that is, sure. I sure. think we are in a unique position as an institution where we have, the resources and ability to be a bit fearless here where, you know, I mean, not knock on wood. I don't think we're really worried about closing our doors. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so we can maybe try some things and take some risks that other institutions would be very hesitant to take. Do I think that higher ed on the whole needs to continue to push in that area, be it through like what you just described, more rigid structured degrees that accelerate or, or at least pass forward savings to the student, be it through hyper flexibility, 
really allowing the students to to fit the education to their needs in the moment. I do. I think that's important. I think we as an industry need to continue to move in that direction. I think, quite frankly, that today's students are going to demand it yeah. more and more. Yeah. Um, I think that the the stigma of online education that we saw five, six, eight years ago has all but faded away. And although many students certainly didn't have a great experience with remote learning over the course of the past 18 months and, and whatnot, I think it's become more, what's the right word? Um, it's more mainstream. Yeah. I think it's more expected. I think kids are going to be more comfortable with it than they would ever have been in the past. And that as a result, they're going to expect it. Yeah. They're going to say, I need to go online for this reason. Why can't you make this course online for me for at least this period of time? And if we're not prepared to meet that need, I think it's going to be difficult. It, I could be totally wrong, Zach. No, no, <laughs> I, I, I think I think you're right, Tim. So, it, and, and just a quick like anecdote there. Yeah. My my brother and a couple of his buddies they got into some good Virginia State schools. Nice, nice. And um, they decided they were working at Starbucks and they decided to do uh, ASU online instead because through their uh, their uh, employment at Starbucks, they got right, access right. to that education for free. And I think that it was so funny. It was like he was talking to me. And, you know, he, my brother went to a nice private school in like the Northern Virginia area. You, you don't really Do pursue that. online <laughs> education, right? right, right? right. Yeah. Like that's just not the norm. Um, and it, to his point and his friend's point, it's like, and to what you just said, like the stigma that I feel like even me, like when I was, sure. when I went to the same school, right, that, that would have been looked down upon. Um, at the time, and and now fast forward, you know, ten years, and it's it's not, it's it's different. It's um, different. So you know, and COVID has just like accelerated that to the extreme. So, right. anyways, I t- to validate your point, at least yeah. anecdotally, um, that there is something culturally that's happening with a with students' perception around. Okay, well, yes, I I, I do want to go to college. I I want right. to get my degree, but the way that I get my degree, yes. right? The yes. the, the, the modality through which yep. I get my education. It can happen online. Like, what? Why not? I think. That, I mean, there's a couple of really good pieces there that you just sort of brought to light. We can't neglect the importance of face to face, right? Yeah. The importance of the classroom environment, the importance of being around your peers in a learning setting. What I think I've seen, what I want to say comfortably that I've seen is that higher ed as an industry has is trying to find ways to bring those elements into the online space, yeah, in a way that never would have happened quite frankly, or I don't think it, it would have without the the catalyst that was COVID. Mm. And that to me is encouraging. That to me is a good thing for us to do, but we shouldn't neglect our face-to-face environment. That yeah. should still be a critical component. Some students will need that. Um, but ha- again, having that ability to, to deliver a quality educational experience across all of those modalities to allow a student to seamlessly just get what they need in the moment that that feels very critical to me and very very salient do you think we'll see like co-learning spaces pop up like a almost like a we work for for students where it's like yes hey you everyone's doing their online school but you know we, we still want collaboration like you want to feel like you're on campus in, in you know a small way maybe this is kind of an uh, snhu what you're doing here is maybe sort of an expression of that but like what does it look like when you've got students from 18 different online programs sure. who are all members at a co-learning space called, I don't know, we learn, right? Whatever it is. Um, does that, does that like actually replace the need for like the social aspect that school provides? But then again, 
give students the flexibility and freedom to learn and you know do school however they want. We had exactly that program. Um, we tried it in 2018. Okay, okay. <laughs> so it was called Project Atlas. Wow. And it was okay. exactly that. It was students um, doing a, like a self-paced, predominantly online coursework, but meeting regularly in a, in a learning space with coaches, learning coaches of sorts, and getting the more kind of fundamental face-to-face interaction and that type of learning. So uh, we piloted that for a year. I think we probably would have continued, again, going back to, we've, we've had this in our minds yeah, a long yeah, time. Yeah, this isn't Pro- a new thing. Project yeah. Atlas was one of the ways we were testing to see, does this work? Yeah. Our students, are, are they being successful? Are we meeting their needs? Are they continuing to meet the appropriate benchmarks? We did that for a year, really positive outcomes and learnings. And then, of course, now we're radically moving in a, in a different direction to a certain degree. But I think we're, we're taking what we learned from Atlas and applying it forward in some of our new academic models and, and with this transformation at large. I, yeah, I'm going to be very interested to see how this plays out. Um, Me too. <laughs> a couple final questions for you, Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you think about majors and course offerings, yep. Just again, from your perspective, um, how should schools be be innovating? Like, will yeah. we see general majors like, you know, the bachelor's in business admin sort of yeah. disappear and be replaced by things like a bachelor's in, you know, product management? Or like, as, as you think about sort of like actual course offerings and degree offerings, sure. how are those going to evolve? I... I don't know for me that it's the name on the degree of the degree, so to speak. Okay. I don't know that students, I, I don't, and again, I, I only speak from my experience, but students have a pretty rigid understanding of like, I want to be a computer science major, but they really don't necessarily know what computer science is. Sure. And then we bring them in and we educate them. Yeah, there's computer science and computer information technology and information systems and, and let's find the right direction for you and your skills. That's what it's more about to me. It's more about the, content and the delivery style of the content. It's not about the name of the program. And I recognize that there are probably degrees of study that what what we've talked about here and how I'm going on and on about menus and flexibility don't work. Engineering is a great example. We're figuring that out. That's yeah. a tricky one to solve. Hmm. Um, we don't offer nursing, but if we did, you bet I'd be going, whoa, that's, this is much more challenging than say English or sure. psychology where we can bake in a greater degree of flexibility more easily. So a lot of hurdles, a lot of things. I hope that schools are looking at this and, and tackling it on their own levels and finding ways to, you know, kind of in their own sort of ecospheres, I don't say solve the problem, that feels very finite, but to the, to the greater extent of the conversation we've been having, like opening it up hmm. and being innovative. I think innovation's a really good thing. I think higher ed needs more of it. This is coming from a guy that works at Southern New Hampshire University. So let's take that with a grain of salt. That's all I've known. <laughs> but I I feel as though what I've seen recently when I talk to my peers, when I hear some of the stories like what you just told me about your 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 brothers, that's encouraging to me. And it feels like we're moving in a good direction. Yeah. I hope. So last question for yeah. you, at least for now, is what needs to change in the <laughs> next couple years in particular? Not five to ten years, but in the next couple years, like what needs to change to sort of improve the the value proposition of higher ed, especially Ooh. right now, right? Where yeah. you've got things going around in the media questioning, right? Like what is the value of the four-year degree, right? What is, do you really need to go to college? More students than ever before being cognizant of the expense of college, right? So mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of the things that you guys are doing, right, are an attempt to sort of like 
you know, be the solution to some of those problems, be the solution to some of those challenges. But like when you think about the brand of higher ed, yeah. right, the idea of going to college, like what, what needs to change? I don't know that it's so much that it needs to change so much that it needs to be, I think, discussed differently and framed differently. I, I guess it feels as though it's always been, well, I mean, you got to go to college, right? Like this is where your, your formative years and your yeah. coming of age experience and, and that's how it was for a long time. And then you're right. Like the, the value has been brought into question. It's been analyzed. I mean, you've seen the rise and fall of for profits and sort of the, some of the predatory practices that have taken place in those areas. And now we're at this crossroads with what everything, the, everything the pandemic has brought into this, this industry and what we've needed to sort of do to get past it. I think we need to continue that evolution. I think we need to continue adding value to the extent where I guess where I think value should be added in the flexibility, meeting life demands, working around students' needs, showing that it can be done at an affordable price. I 1000% believe cost has to be at the forefront of this. We've got to be finding ways to bring those costs down, uh, not just through discounting and, and merit scholarshiping, but in other fundamental ways. And that's going to look different school to school. Um, but ultimately, I, I still, and the, the statistics prove that a college graduate's going to earn, I mean, God, it's however many millions more in their lifetime than a non-college grad. I don't think those statistics are ever going to change. I think we just need to continue talking about them just maybe in a different manner. Well, Tim, this has been a lot of fun. I love talking with folks who think progressively and are willing to sort of like ideate around sure. what the future of learning can look like. And uh, props to you, props to the team, props to the leadership here at SNHU who is definitely, you know, paving a pathway that many other schools are are watching. Um, so thank sure. you for your effort. And I hope to continue talking at a later point. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on the show, Zach. I appreciate it. Come talk to me in like a year. I'll probably tell you something totally different yeah we'll do yeah yeah yeah. we'll do like a yeah year in review like what actually happened based off of uh everything tim said a, a year before and i think we're well aware that like yeah we might fail on some fronts i think yeah. we're kind of expecting it yeah i don't think we're yeah, yeah, yeah. we're uh we're rosy glasses and all that stuff thinking we're gonna get this right on the first try absolutely not um but you gotta try it right if, yeah. if you don't take the risk uh, you, you, know, you just gotta tackle it so we'll see we'll see Great. how it goes I'll let thank you, know. you for your time <laughs> yeah my, my pleasure If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.